So to date, we've helped well over a thousand startups sell, and then total deal volume, well over half a billion. Um, last month, we did 82 acquisitions with total acquisition volume of, I believe, 25 million. Month prior was 92 acquisitions with 35 million in deal volume. And those those deals really range. And yeah. so we still have kind of the micro-acquired DNA, but we're starting to move up towards the one to five million dollar, one to ten million dollar acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you ask like the average acquisition, it's it's difficult to give a concise answer because we'll help startup sell for, and this is kind of my one of my favorite sides of the business, like a small product, few customers made by someone in, you know, another country where fifty thousand dollars can go a long ways. So we see a lot of those. And then we also help facilitate um, larger acquisitions, which would be, you know, seven, sometimes low eight figures. Yeah. And you used, you used to be called micro acquire. Is that right? Micro acquire. Yeah. Micro yeah. acquire. And it started off. Um, what was the, the, the inspiration for that, that has stayed with you into acquire.com? Yeah. So I had kind of a, what's called like a thesis or a bet. I always say, I don't always say it all the time, but um, uh, a thought process. So when I think of new ideas, I try to, because market timing is the biggest factor in uh, startup success. There's a really good TED talk if you haven't seen it. Um, But I made a bet that there's going to be a trend of entrepreneurship through acquisition. And then also there's going to be more, uh, entrepreneurs bootstrapping their businesses and not raising venture capital. So not building, you know, the billion dollar companies, but there's this big long tail of startup software companies that are making 20 K or 500,000 a year, a million a year, 10 million a year. And I thought that trend was going to be interesting to watch. And then I started thinking, okay, how are these companies going to get acquired? And so I figured there needed to be a marketplace for just the startup ecosystem. And it was kind of something I wanted because yeah. um, previously I had bootstrapped a company and I had no idea how acquisitions worked and didn't know what private equity was. Um, you know, I see a lot of books on your bookshelves, but I don't think there's probably one on acquisitions. So there's books on marketing, uh, sales, hire, ev- everything, fundraising but very little education around the actual acquisition process, which is arguably the most um, important part of the founder's journey, in my opinion. And so I thought um, there was a big opportunity to kind of bring buyers and sellers into one place and make stages of the acquisition process more transparent, easier to understand. So that was kind of the bet I made was there's going to be a lot of, you know, smaller startups being built rather than, and this is just based off stats too, like, I think it's uh you have like a zero point one percent chance of building a, you know, multi billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. But then what happens to the other ninety nine point nine percent? And that's kind of our target market, I guess you'd say. And I talk about this all the time. It's it's a major part. My new book, uh, Your First Million, which is behind me, talks about this. Fifty uh, percent or more of the book is about the the this um not 
not needing or wanting or pursuing venture capital in any way, shape or form. And it being about bootstrapping it being about like life changing amounts. If someone sold their company that they built for two to five years for a million bucks, that's life changing. And they can do so much more with that. And someone who does that and just continues to do that, I think it's also a really interesting type of founder. Um, and I would say that uh, Lost and Founder by uh, Rand Fishkin is a great book if you want to learn about all the stuff. Um, so going back to it, so you kind of just said it quickly and then moved on. You've helped a thousand companies get acquired. And what time period? So we launched in June 2020. So <laughs> uh, four, four, four years. Yeah. Oh, three years, three years and three months. And I will say that I'm a, a small angel investor in acquire.com and I'm very happy to be. I have to say that. Um, that and is, I, so and cool. I'm very appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's just fun to watch you. I think honestly, and this is for those who are uh, uh, potential investors, people who are aspiring investors. Um, being an angel investor, acquire.com is a wonderful example of how being an angel investor is like paying for just great education above all else, because, and just having that, like being able to peek it, peer into your process, you, you take your investors through your um, updates through so, so, so much of it. It's so interesting. And it's like, it's like, it's a masterclass in itself. So it, another great reason to be an angel investor, everyone listening and watching is to have access to like the behind the scenes. How does the, how does the, the thing happen? How does it get made? Um, you want to so, know, um, I want to, okay. I want to uh, go back on two points. Is that okay? Yes, of course. Um, so the investor updates, um, you know how I make them like really detailed and I'll kind of point out things that, you know, were, we need to fix. Yes. So I'll purposely do that. And then I share with my entire team. Mm. So I highlight basically, these are the main things. Uh, I always say over communicate your strategy with your team. And I think it's really powerful when you say, this is what went out to all of our investors and this is what we need to fix. And mm. so that's um, been, been helpful in terms of alignment, but going back to your first point in terms of, um, you know, in terms of how to think about success in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I you think live, a lot you of, live in Silicon Valley, but it's, you're not part of it. It sounds like. So if I'm being honest, I moved here, I married a, a beautiful Italian girl and she grew up in Foster city. Yeah. And if you marry into an Italian family, it's a requirement to live by her family. So her parents live down the street her grandparents live down the street um we're gonna see them all this week so it's it's beautiful being a part of an Italian if it was up to me though um I grew up in San Clemente mm -hmm. and I love the beach that's um in between LA and San Diego um but going back to your first point you know I think a lot of people don't understand you know bootstrapping a business or raising a little bit of funding however you get there and you exit and your outcome is just a couple million dollars mm -hmm. that will most definitely change your life. And I think a lot of people are drawn to these extreme outcomes because that's generally what you hear about. If you sell a business for $5 million, the wall street journal is not going to write about you. Um, but yeah. like there's that, um, path of entrepreneurship that I think, um, you know, I like to kind of shine a light on a little bit more. I call it more practical and more realistic approach to, 
to entrepreneurship. So yeah. um, totally, totally agree with you. To your point, more people are doing this or have this path ahead of them than the other that we see so much of kind of in our faces. And it's great to have aspirations for things because different people are going to have a different vibe, right? Some people are going to want to go for the billion dollar plus company for the IPO, for the ringing the bell, right? But a lot of people, um, and this is a lot of people that we invest in too, I think like there is a way for the outcome to benefit everyone, even if it's not this billion dollar outcome. So that's why acquire.com is so interesting to me. I want to talk about two things before we go. I want to make sure that we talk about how someone onboards acquire.com and that what that process looks like. But before we do that, I want to understand, this is your first million in the podcast. I want to understand how did you make your first million? How did I make my first million? Um, So prior to... Uh, acquire, I started a company in, so I didn't have any money, uh, for a long time. Um, and, uh, I still don't have a lot of money. Um, but I started a company called, um, business apps and it was a do yourself drag and drop mobile app builder. It was right when the iPhone came out. I was Mm -hmm. in college. I kind of just got lucky. I'm not technical. I didn't have any prior experience in sales, marketing, really anything. I just had this kind of dream of building a startup and seeing if I could make it work. And it just took off and um, sold that business um, to a private equity firm when I was uh, 29, right when we hit about um, 10 million in recurring revenue. Mm. And so building that up to 10 million in in annual recurring revenue, um, how long did it take you to go from scratch? You said you were in college and then it was, you were 29 or so. So how many years would you say it took you to get to that point? Eight years. We got to our first million, maybe in the first year, it was, it exploded like a bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's not the best, uh, sort of analogy. Um, <laughs> Fire, but fireworks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fireworks. Um, uh, caught lightning in a bottle is probably a better analogy. Um, but it was a time when, uh, and I had all these, um, and again, this is where I go back to what I said previously was making a bet that's obvious to you that will become obvious to others in the future. And so I was in a college town and I saw everybody with iPhones. So early adopters, you know, usually the younger crowd, I didn't have an iPhone. I couldn't afford it. Um, but I saw this opportunity to build mobile apps for businesses in my college town that would want to send push notes it's happy hour or a local restaurant we're going to give a discount tonight or something like that because their core demographic had this phone but no one knew how to build iphone apps and so i made a really simple way to just make it faster easier um, more affordable for small businesses because the other route was custom development and that took months it cost you know Right when the iPhone came out, there were a lot of iPhone developers. So to develop even a simple iPhone app, it was like 100K. And so we were able to just build a template and then just kind of reskin it and resell it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then when you sold the company at 29, you became a millionaire in that transaction, You your personal first million, because we talk a lot about the difference between your company making a million and you personally being a millionaire just to be very clear to people that the people walking around who have are generating revenue doesn't mean that they're balling. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah so you, you is that an affirmative? Yes, yeah, so you did. Yeah, I, I've I've actually never shared the exact price. I promised my wife I wouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. but I can share deal terms if that's like. Yeah, share what you'd like to share. So, um, I sold the business because I was just getting tired in the company. Like I was again, it was it was kind of like the only thing I had known. Um, and I've written a book about it. If anyone wants to hear the story, it's called just getting inquired. You can find it on Amazon. And I wrote, I haven't made like a dollar off the book. I just, it was such a weird experience because I was young and managing the, just all these people. And I didn't know what I was doing and I made a ton of mistakes. So you could probably learn, um, how to not make those mistakes. Um, but so the deal structure was, um, we did a stock purchase uh, we had two million cash on hand from just profits that we were keeping for rainy day. Um, we added that onto the purchase price at a one x multiple. Um, transition was ninety days, and then I was out of the business. Um, and then I actually had a five hundred thousand dollar blank check on top of that that I gave to uh, my team. Mm. And how many people were in your team uh, approximately? We had around 30 in-house, but then we had like 40 outsourced and like engineers, people. We had 24-7 customer support. So we had people in, you know, South America, France, um, Australia. Uh, so a lot of, uh, I would say over half the business was um, contractors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... So you said it was a stock purchase and you had some cash pieces to it is, is just for the, I'm not trying to get into your business so much, but just for people who are thinking this through, even if they want to sell their company on acquire.com in general, how long are those uh, earnouts or, or, or anything like that when it comes to like getting stock or um, getting an earnout? Is there like a, 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 a average number or is it just so different for every single case? It's different for every single case, but the majority of the acquisitions that we see will have some component of seller financing is typically the most common or some sort of earnout component or a conditional holdback. It really depends on the size of the transaction. As the transaction gets bigger, usually there's more, um, you know, holdbacks, seller financing, that sort of stuff. And that's really just a de-risk acquisition for the buyer in case they buy it and then whoever owns the business, all the knowledge is instantly gone. Um, but we do see also a lot of cash, all cash upfront transactions. That's, you know, kind of the, that's what every founder wants. No one, yeah. no, I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs want, um, you know, I sold my business and then I get a job for four years and then I yeah. get a rest invest, as they say. Yeah. Um, I didn't want that. Um so we see kind of everything that you could think of, but the majority of deals um, do have some sort of, I would, I would say off the top of my head, um, between 60 to 70% of the acquisitions that we facilitate have some, for, some form of seller financing, mm -hmm. which just for people that don't know what seller financing means, an example would be, okay, I'm going to acquire your company for $2 million. 1.5 million is going to be cash on close. And so there's a remaining 500,000 and then that's going to be paid monthly over the course of say two years or something like that. And that's an incentive to keep the original owner of the business available in case there's, you know, a bug that 
you know, the new engineering team can't figure out, or if um, there's a customer with a unique discount plan or something like that, just that knowledge that the original owner has. So it doesn't just, you know. Yeah. You hand it over. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I mean, you talk about the, like becoming someone's employee for four years, Stuart Butterfield, I think twice has done this where he's been acquired his company uh, uh, first by Yahoo and then by Salesforce. And the first time he really let him have it when, when he was there for a few months or a couple of years. And he's like, I'm out of here. This is not for me. Started Slack and then sold that and then stayed around for quite a long time, but then um, had to leave, you know, cause it was just like that when you're an entrepreneur, a lot of times you have to, like you, you take a little bit of a break, but you kind of have to do the next thing. It's just in your blood. So this is a really interesting, I love what acquire.com could mean for so many of the listeners of this podcast. And so I do want to take them through the process. So first of all, you mentioned earlier that it's SaaS companies. Is that that's the majority of the the types of companies that um, work best on acquire.com? Yeah. So 50% of the acquisitions that we facilitate are SaaS, but we work with a lot of e-commerce, mobile app companies, agencies, generally any type of profitable online business. So mm. sometimes we'll see cool like newsletters. We'll see uh, recently I saw a really profitable Twitter meme account. Wow. It, and they were doing like 1.7 million in revenue and like all of it was profit essentially. I think it, the margin was like 85%. So we see a lot of interesting businesses and those are also good acquisitions for other companies to buy media properties. Yes. So generally, um, just kind of to round it out, any sort of online business is a good fit. Mm -hmm. What kind of acquirers are there? Because people too will be listening to this and saying, hey, because you said it earlier quickly, it's about like a type of entrepreneurship is to buy a current company and create something out of that, either to flip or to take it to, you know, its full potential. What sort of... Um, acquirers are you also seeing on the platform? Yeah, we see again, kind of, so we have 300,000 buyers registered. Yeah. So out of that, um, I would say probably 25% are private equity. Um, I'm not going to get to a full hundred percent. I'm, I'm bad at off the top <laughs> of my head math. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of um, public companies, VC backed companies, um, even just you know, really profitable bootstrap companies. But then we also do see a lot of individual buyers. Mm -hmm. And these would be entrepreneurs that maybe have some liquidity event, whether working at a large company or they've built and sold another company. And what they're really doing is they're looking to buy product market fit. Because when you first start a company, you got to kind of chew glass and figure out scrape and claw to get your first customers. And so when you acquire a business, you kind of skip that stage. And so a lot of, I see a lot of second time entrepreneurs acquiring um, pretty, pretty good businesses um, just to skip that stage and then focus on what they're really good at, which might be go to market or, you know, expansion into different markets, whatever it may be. How does someone become one of the 82 in the month that get acquired? What's what's something that stands out to you where it's like, oh, they, they had a better chance? Or I know you're collecting data. There has to be a ton of data that you can look at. What do you see is, is really something? It, uh, it starts at the top, having a good business. Like you, it's so hard to sell a bad business. Um, so 
but moving down to let's say the the mechanics of it um one realistic valuation so if you if you price your your company too high buyers are going to think that gap is just too it's too big to to close and it's not going to it's not worth a conversation so realistic valuations which we provide um also being prepared so having a document that goes over kind of the nuts and bolts of your business. Um, we call it a due diligence checklist, just common questions that typically every buyer's ask. Um, having a clean profit and loss statement so buyers can quickly understand the financial health of your business. Um, without those items, when you go live on acquire, you definitely first question from buyers are hey, do you have a PL? Hey, do you have uh, the answers to these questions? So when you list on acquire.com, we help with all that. So we used to be a touchless marketplace where you would just kind of, you know, enter in your information. We would do light due diligence, then you'd go live on the marketplace. And then this past year, what we've really done is, and this has been feedback from just um, sellers, because what we always want to do is um, put the founder first and really, again, help uh, founders maximize their exits. And we built a team that uh, helps you along every step of the way, whether that's creating your listing, you know, understanding what to expect when you start speaking with buyers, how to prepare for an acquisition. And then when you go live on the marketplace, how to, you know, control the process, um, how to create, you know, some sort of FOMO with buyers. So there's, um, multiple offers coming in all at the same time. So, we we built the product, and this is something that I did at Business Apps too, where um, our largest department was actually our customer success team. Mm. We had to, so I'm a big advocate of uh, be the Zappos of your industry. Uh, so we we built you know an amazing product suite, and I'm obviously biased, um, but I think we built a great product suite that helps with you know legal document creation, uh, P and L creation. Um, we have a seamless integration with escrow. So just making the whole acquisition process easier. Um, but then on top of that or below that, however you want to visualize this, um, we have a team of M&A advisors that can help you, whether you're selling a $10 million business or you know $100,000 business. Yeah, that's incredible. I know that there's a ton more I could ask you. So I wanted to do a part two. We have a couple of minutes left and I want to ask you about your marketing. Because that's like low key, it's high key because it's so effective, but it's low key, such a brilliant part of what you do that I don't think you get enough credit for because it's a whole other set, you know, set of uh, skills. How do you approach your marketing and, and how you think about, I mean, from, from having the cameo videos to like going down to Twitter and trying to get Elon to, to uh, give you the, the handle, like. How do you think about that? Is it very natural, organic, or do you kind of strategize it out and plan it out? Great question. It's very unscripted and planned. Again, it goes back to, I think the best uh, strategies really with anything is it has to be fun. It's got to be fun. And if it's not fun, you're not going to be consistent. And if you're not consistent, it's not going to work. So when people read my tweets or me like going after like Elon, and I've known since uh, December of last year, I have no chance of getting that handle. Um, <laughs> but people like root for it and they're like, pre-acquire. Um, so I'll just do it because I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, 
And then maybe for people that don't know about prior um, marketing that I've done, but I used to get these cameos with Russ Hanneman from the show Silicon Valley. Um, I thought they were hilarious. And so I would just post them. So there's not really like a strategic, we do have like a strategic uh, marketing team that has, you know, um, you know, KPIs that we're trying to hit and stuff like that. But for me personally, uh, most of my tweets are just written. I just wake up and write something. And I think that's kind of when also the best, you know, content kind of comes out when it's not forced. And then it's just fun. I used to journal a lot and I used to, um, you know, kind of do it on Facebook. My family would be like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll just say kind of thoughts on my mind. And uh, my goal is I have a brand voice written down. Um, and I think it's just like, um, be yourself, um, humorous, helpful, motivating, inspiring. And that's kind of like what gets me going is if I can just send a tweet, one person might look at it as like, oh, that's super cheesy. But there's someone out there where they might read that and say, like, this inspired me or like this motivates me. And that's that's kind of what I like to do. That brings me energy. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on your first million. Like I said, we will do a part two because there's a lot more I want to talk to you about, but it's been wonderful talking to you and people can go to acquire.com to be a buyer or a seller or maybe both. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Arlen. Appreciate you.